Well, this morning we start our first sermon from John's Gospel. So obviously the best place to start is John chapter 1. And it's at the Christmas time. Now it's interesting with John's Gospel because Matthew and Luke have a massive Christmas story about Jesus' birth. John doesn't have this. He starts with those words, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word came and dwelt amongst us. These are short sentences. Basically, is his whole Christmas story. Because uh, if you look at John MacArthur, a famous uh, preacher in America, he wrote this. If we could condense all the truths of Christmas into three words, these would be the words. God with us. You and I, we tend to focus on our attention at Christmas, on the infancy on Christ. But the greater truth of Christmas is the deity of Christ, that God came to earth as a human being. That that baby in a manger is a truth. But the promised baby is actually the creator of the universe who's come to earth in skin and flesh like you and I. So as I said before, those words, first words in John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So how does God reveal himself? There's two key ways, creation and through his scriptures. So in terms of creation, Romans 1 says this in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they were without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give him thanks, and they became futile in their thinking. I think one of the interesting things about a modern society, as we become cityfied, a lot of people have lost touch with creation. I remember I took a friend of mine about 10 years ago. We went across the Nullarbor Plain and uh, we drove. And so uh, here we are in the middle of the Nullarbor Plain. We park our car on the side of the road. And as far as you could see in any direction, there was nothing except for us. There may have been uh, no humans within 80 kilometres of where we were. And we just lay there, me petrified, thinking a snake's going to sneak into my sleeping bag, but uh, that, uh, looking at the stars. And the stars were magnificent. About every 10 minutes or so, you'd see a falling star. So we'd be just sitting there and we'd interrupt our conversation, there's another one, there's another one, as we saw falling stars. And as you sat underneath these stars, you realised how small you were. And you realised that the creation needs a creator. And there's a true sense, you could say, I can feel very close to God when you're out in the scrub or out in the bush. So creation is the first way that God shows himself. But there are people there, according to the Romans, that they, although they knew God, they would not honour him or give him thanks, and they became futile in their thinking. That people can walk away from these God experiences and not recognise God. The second way that God speaks to us is through his scriptures, through the Bible. Now it's interesting, when, after Jesus' resurrection in Luke 24, Jesus said, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Why? Because in the scriptures we find Jesus. Now it's interesting, Jesus describes himself as the word and teaches us that Christ is God's word. And as we read the scriptures, we're reading the words of God. So the second thing we find in John's Gospel is that Jesus is creator. So in verse 3, 
All things were made through Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now it's fascinating, this first verse of John's Gospel captures the first verse of the whole Bible, Genesis 1. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Scripture shows us that not only did God the Father uh, make the heavens and the earth, but also God the Son. So in Colossians 1.15, talking about Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews attributes God the Father as saying this about Jesus. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. He who is creator becomes created. He who is spirit becomes flesh. He who is all-powerful is now lying in a stable, in a crib, and most likely was crying. So I love that uh, hymn that says, you know, no, no crying he makes, as if a baby doesn't cry. He who is all-powerful is now all-vulnerable. The third thing we find in John's Gospel there is that Jesus is life. In chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And as soon as you follow that whole theme of life through John's Gospel, here's some of the verses I've picked out. <coughs> Jesus said, I came that you may have life, and you may have life abundantly. When John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In the verse that Jen quoted at the end of our prayer time this morning, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. When Jesus is talking to the woman beside the well, he says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So the third key thing that John wants to get across to us is life. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. Jesus is life and eternal life. So what holds us back from that eternal life? Romans 6 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sinful nature is what is the barrier. Therefore, we need to be repenting and restoring our relationship with God. So what does life mean? Life means eternity, but it also means quality of life. The fourth thing that John touches in this gospel here, in chapter 1, is the idea of prophecy. And we talk here about John the Baptist. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So why does it have this idea of John coming first? We've got to go back to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Because we find in the New Testament, 
John the Baptist is perceived as the Elijah that was promised in the Old Testament. I had a great uh, chat down to the beach yesterday with one of the ladies who is very anti-atheist but doesn't go to church. She knows there's a God. And uh, she's saying, you know, how do you cover all these atheists who you know, give you great arguments? I said, well, I haven't had an atheist who's ever given me a decent argument in my life. I said, most atheists get converted to agnostics very quickly because they realise the stupidity of their position. I said, uh, the Bible's got so much evidence for itself. And I said, one of the biggest evidence is prophecy. There's over 6,000 prophecies in the Bible. And here's your chance for a Q&A. How many of those prophecies are left to be fulfilled? One, which is the return of Christ. And I started talking about the precision of some of the prophecies. She was quite surprised. She said, I didn't realise there was so much prophecy in the Bible. I didn't realise how accurate it was. I didn't realise how much evidence there was for the scripture. So we had a great 20 minute conversation about this whole idea of prophecy. Now the fifth thing that uh, John describes for us in John's gospel there in chapter 1 is in verse 9. Jesus is the light. The true light which enlightens everyone will come into the world. It's interesting in 1 John 1 it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness. So there's this play about God the Father and God the Son and light. Now I don't know if your toes are like my toes, but your toes are really fantastic right up to the moment in a dark room that you're confidently walking through and you stub your toe. And you suddenly realise, if only I had a torch, if I only turned the light on, I would not be in so much pain at this point here. Walking in darkness can feel very cool until you stub your toe. And Jesus says, I am the light. This sense of revealing all things. And everything starts making sense for the first time. So the beginning of John's Gospel is very much about who is Jesus. The second part is, is believing seeing or is seeing believing? Is believing seeing or is seeing believing? And John answers this in chapter 1 verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. <clears throat> Why did those who should have loved Jesus not love him? 2 Corinthians 4 gives us the answer. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I have a lovely friend of mine who was an English teacher and he'd had long spiritual conversations with one of the other English teachers who obviously was, you know, could read Shakespeare and read novels and fully understand it. And he said, look, I'll lend you a, a gospel of John and a simple uh, uh, translation and I'd love to get your feedback. And she came back about a week later and says, I didn't understand a single thing. It was too complex. I just could not make sense of anything that was being said. And you say, but you're an English teacher who knows how to read. Why could you not read it? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. It's funny, a little child can read the Bible and make perfect sense of everything that's being said. Sometimes it's better than you and I. And a person with a PhD in literature can read it and say, I cannot work out what's happening here. Why? Because Satan has a field day. Paul states that Satan, the God of this age, blinds people's eyes so they cannot understand the gospel. This is what John's gospel says about this. John chapter 12, verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. You're thinking, 
I just saw a blind man see, a deaf man hear, a lame man walk, and my attitude is, didn't happen. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So even though Jesus did many outstanding miracles in the sight of people, the majority would not believe in him. As was said by Isaiah 700 years earlier, what had happened? The next verses give us the answer in John chapter 12. For this reason they would not believe, because, as Isaiah had said, he has blinded their eyes, deafened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, because I would heal them. Paul also talks about this same hardening of heart that can happen in this world. In Romans 11, What then? What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes so they would not see, and ears so they would not hear to this very day. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, one of the hardest things I know is that uh, one of the, probably one of the greatest obstacles for some people is their wealth, or their status, or their success. And why is it hard to work in Newport? Because we're a place of wealth, of status, and success. And there are some people who say, I can do everything in my own strength, I don't need God. They are stubborn of heart. But what about you and I who've actually asked Jesus to be the Lord of our life? As it said there in verse 12, He gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And we have no idea who God will choose. I've had the joy of uh, leading people in their 70s and 80s to Christ. I've had the joy of seeing people die uh, within a week of their conversion, I had one of my students who sadly, on the day he became a Christian, is the day he died. And that morning before breakfast, when he prayed, God, come into my life, he had no idea that he would not hit morning tea. had an industrial accident. We have no idea who God would choose. What does that mean for you and I? We should share the gospel with everyone. Because some will respond. The interesting thing is, if God didn't empower us, you and I couldn't even respond to ourselves. So there in John 6, verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not drive away. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a sense that God will choose, and we have no idea how he does his choosing. Sometimes the most stubborn of stubborn of stubborn people will come to Christ. Others who are so close to the kingdom will stay outside the door. In Ezekiel it says this in verse 11. I'll give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I'll remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. So the question is, does God then force people to get converted? And this is uh, how Paul describes one of the people's uh, conversions in Acts 16, in that we written by Luke. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyreata, who was a worshipper of God. It says, The Lord opened her heart to respond to God's message. 
So scripture has two th- sides. It says we need to respond. It also says the Holy Spirit empowers us to make the response. So it's not just knowledge of God, but it's our response to his salvation. I have a friend of mine who uh, sometimes brags about the fact that he came second at Barker College in all the religion exams. So he was only beaten by some famous minister's kid who was obviously brighter than he was. But this person hasn't made that salvation step yet. Now the third thing that we get in uh, John's Gospel is the humanity of who Jesus was. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us in verse 14. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what does the Scripture say about this divinity and humanity of Jesus, the two aspects of Jesus? 100% God, 100% man. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you and I are told that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. What did he do? He took on the form of a servant, was made in human likeness. He found the appearance as a man and he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father. Jesus, on the day he returns, believers will fall on their knees and say, you are Lord with praise and glory and excitement. Sadly, non-Christians will fall upon their knees and their heads bowed saying, Oh my gosh, you are Lord. How stupid was I? In the 15th verse of chapter 1, John bore witness about this and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He will come after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. And this section finishes with verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made himself known. The sense that Jesus coming to earth was God in the flesh to be seen. Christmas is about the predictable and the unpredictable. Babies are born all the time. Thoughts about who the real dad is is not uncommon even in modern times. Location for Jesus, a bit out of the ordinary. But not in his day. We've heard of a virgin birth, men travelling hundreds of kilometres, following a moving star, and hundreds of years of predictions being pinpointed in that one moment and time. In that first Christmas, God broke into space and broke into time. Our space, our time, and Jesus was born as one of us. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, this Christmas may be a time for us to praise you for our own salvation. That you have called us to be your children. Father, may we be fervent in prayer for our friends and our relatives and those that we know for their salvation. Father God, we hunger for your Holy Spirit to call people to repentance, to convict people of their sin. Father, may you use us for your kingdom and for your glory. And Father, use us this week in some way 
to touch somebody's life with your glory. Amen. Let us stand and sing our final song, which is one of the most beautiful hymns that I know, Silent Night.